Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of 3D Imaging, Pearls, Pitfalls, and Opportunities. And we left off last time at this slide, which um, is some work on templates for doing pancreatic cancer. And what was interesting about this work was that the initial concept was to make a template so people can report correctly. There was really no interest in doing protocols. But then you realized that as you started doing the templates, that unless you did the protocols, it would not make any sense because the only way templates really work for describing findings on a study like a pancreatic cancer is to design what the protocols need to be done. And so it's interesting when the protocols were decided, 3D imaging became critical for accurate staging. That unless you did 3D imaging, it would not work. And unless you did biphasic imaging with 3D imaging, you were not getting accurate staging. And the article went so far as to say that if you had a study but did not have the dual phase with thin sections so you could do 3D mapping, the study would have to be repeated. It's worthwhile reading the study uh, and that article in part gives a very nice job on everything you need to do, scan protocols, how we read the studies, what are we looking for, but that vascular mapping becomes so critical. And so when you think about doing templates and reporting across multiple institutions, the acquisitions need to be correct, and 3D imaging becomes a critical part of that acquisition. And so when you're looking at pancreatic cancer, whether you're looking at normal anatomy, in this case, or variations of anatomy, in this case where the celiac and SMA arise from a common trunk, or in this case where this, the hepatic and splenic arteries arise adjacent to each other, or a case like this where you see collaterals around the head of the pancreas and you begin to wonder till you note that the patient has a prominent GDA. And when you look at all of the images, you realize this patient has meat and awkward ligament syndrome, which becomes particularly important if a patient is going to get a Whipple's procedure. That area of stenosis is critical because if you do a Whipple's and take out the GDA, the patient will infarct their liver. So before you take out the GDA, you need to do a bypass graft off the aorta to the hepatic artery. Very important. And so there have been several articles about that. And here's just one impressive example of the collateral vessels and why when we're doing CT of the pancreas, the 3D mapping is so critical for looking at vascular anatomy. And here's just a few more images of that. And I mentioned it's critical in uh, patients for Whipple's procedure. But really, hepatic surgery, liver transplant surgery all become critical. When we do pancreatic imaging, we talk about looking at the mesenteric vessels. And I talk about this in more detail on a specific pancreatic talk. So I'll just make a few points. Of course, we're looking in this case at the patient's SMA, which is encased. Or in this example, we're looking at the venous side, seeing the tumor infiltrating, encasing, and narrowing the patient's um, SMV with multiple collaterals present, making this patient unresectable. Or in this example, we can see the tumor with some pancreatitis and direct extension and involvement into the portal vein. This patient would be considered borderline resectable. Patient would get chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And then hopefully we would be able to make this patient potentially resectable for cure. Again, uh, things like portal vein involvement for short segments can be fixed by patch grafts. But again, you want to make certain that you have the patient's tumor under control. And again, the 3D mapping, supplementing the 2D mapping does this very nicely.
We talk about 3D imaging in not only detecting lesions, but in defining lesions. We talk about signatures. So if we look at the liver, for example, we could do MIP imaging to define the hepatic artery and GDA and its branching. Because we can get such good detail if the hepatic artery is stenotic, as in this patient with a cholangiocarcinoma, we can define that very nicely there. We could look at variations in liver tumors. Hemangiomas is one of the most common tumors, and the pattern of hemangiomas is peripheral puddling, which you can see on that axial imaging, also very nicely shows on the 3D map. Now, I'm not suggesting any 3D to diagnose hemangiomas, but I'm showing you how nicely it gives you the signature. On the other hand, if you look at focal nodular hyperplasia, hypervascular lesion, central scar, feeding vessel to the center of the lesion, which you can see here. The feeding vessel is not irregular. Central scar with the feeding vessel, classic for FNH. Or this example with hypertrophied hepatic artery in a patient with a right lower quadrant palpable mass, which is really a FNH off the right lobe of the liver. Again, the feeding vessels. We talk about looking in this case, in a patient with cirrhosis and a TIPS catheter and a 1CM lesion right lobe of liver, and by location, this could be hemangioma, though we like to say hemangiomas are not around in patients with cirrhosis because they collapse. And sure enough, you look at that case in 3D, you can see the feeding vessel, it's irregular, and the pattern is consistent with a hepatoma. We talk about looking at vascular maps in 3D, in this case with MIP imaging, showing you that on the axial images you might have considered AV shunting, but on the 3D MIP, you know the patient has an infiltrating hepatoma. We talk about judging the amount of vascularity, which becomes important with certain chemotherapies and treatment plans. And you say this lesion, arterial phase, somewhat vascular, lobulated, and large, but you don't appreciate the vascularity. If I step it up a bit and I show it to you on the MIP imaging and volume rendering, look how the MIP shows those vessels. Look at that neovascularity. The AV shunting from a quantification perspective, from a treatment perspective, is best seen on these type of images. And we talk across the range of tumors, particularly on the metastatic side. We will often pick up lesions with MIP in 3D that we don't see on axial classifying lesions like this metastatic neuroendocrine tumor, it's not a hemangioma, it's not peripheral puddling, it's a rim enhancement with hyperdensity in the periphery around the lesion consistent with tumor infiltration. And you can see the neovascularity on the 3D maps nicely shown. And when we look at things like orthopedics, we a lot of our original work was in orthopedics, acetabular trauma, pelvic trauma, the roadmaps, the improved detection, but surgical planning. This article by Calcer talks about it's a valuable tool for the evaluation of patients with traumatic hip fracture dislocation. The more severe the injury, the more valuable the 3D is. Simple case, comminuted fracture, acetabulum, anterior and posterior wall, and dome, and here it is in 3D, displacement of the medial wall and multiple fragments. And here it is with some color, doing a better job showing you the extent of the fractures, the medial and superior wall. Then I'll rotate the images, showing you the posterior lipivulst. Then I'll take the femur out. 
and then I'll look directly in the acetabulum showing you where the fracture is, how it will need to be repaired, the multiple fracture lines superiorly, anteriorly, inferiorly. Again, we can create images that cannot be created. We talk about this whole idea of trauma and whether it's the bone or the vessels, the ability to do 3D visualization from skin to vessel with bone removal is shown nicely in this case with upper extremity trauma. Or in this case with upper extremity trauma, we're able to take away the bone, look at the vessels, see that the axillary this to um, brachial arteries are intact. There's no vascular injury. Now, a few weeks ago, I gave you a talk about cinematic rendering and about spoke about some of its potential advantages because of multiple light sources. And this article by Froese does make the point. Um, he spoke about the photorealism that you can obtain with multiple light sources. And then we published in August, just came out the other day, this article about cinematic rendering and how we can create a photorealistic appearance to the imaging. And we talked about cinematic rendering and volume rendering, how cinematic rendering takes is really volumetric rendering, but with a little better use of lighting models. And then we speak about the difference. Here's a focal dissection with volume rendering in the SMA. And here it is with cinematic rendering. You see the branches a bit better. It seems like it has more 3D feel to it. And here's the volume rendering and the cinematic side by side. And again, the detail of the cinematic seems to be better. We look at collateral pathways of flow, the ability of changing the light source, making those collateral vessels in a cirrhotic patient really stand out. Well, we speak about this example where I'm looking at multiple nodes in a patient with neurogenic tumor on the coronals and 3D volume rendering, and then simply look at it again with the cinematic rendering, which gives you a really good feel of the tumor relationship to portal vein and SMV and to IVC. We talk about applications in the chest. This patient had chest pain. You can see the leads for a gated study with the muscle, then without the muscle, we look in the chest, there's a set of collateral vessels, which are the coronary arteries sitting on the main pulmonary artery. This patient had a fistula from the coronary arteries to the pulmonary artery. That was the source of the patient's symptoms. But look at the detail of the branch vessels of the arch. Look at the detail of the small vessels in that patient's coronary artery fistula. With cinematic rendering, there are many things I wonder if we can do. We talk about texture mapping. Can we look at the 3D images and define the texture of organs, whether there's pathology present or not? Can we define more about tumors? But look at the detail of the texture in this patient with a femfem graft, and look at the bowel. And all I'm doing here is changing the texture. Can we come up with what we would consider normal and build from there? And there's that same patient from behind. With the texture, we can look at the pancreatic gland. Look at the pancreas in this case. Look at the spleen. Look at the lobulations, the splenic artery and the vein. Look at the texture and lighting. And so if you look at texture, can you see the change in texture in this case, and I'll circle it, which was an adenocarcinoma. Can we look at different tumor types based on their texture? 
3D may have an entirely new role, not just visualization, but also interpretation. And the texture may become a big part of uh, AI, for example, as we do deep learning. And so this case, the cystic changes the septations in a patient with a serous cyst adenoma is nicely shown. And the stretching of the hepatic artery around the mass, and here it is with cinematic rendering. We talk about a vascular lesion like a uh, neuroendocrine tumor with multiple vascular liver lesions in addition to the primary. And look how the primary looks dense and bright. And look at all those feeding vessels going to the individual hepatic arteries. So we can create a series of views looking at this. You see the collaterals because of uh, vascular occlusion on the venous side. We talk about looking at the texture. So here's a one centimeter neuroendocrine tumor. Kind of looks like a cup compared to the rest of the texture of the gland. And so again, looking at texture. And so whether we're looking at the pancreatic cancer with portal vein SMV occlusion, but look at the collaterals. Splenic veins occluded here. The SMV portal vein is markedly narrowed, not quite occluded. But look at the collaterals, particularly through the gonadal veins. And again, the visualization of these structures, as well as visualization of splenic and liver. And here's just that same patient with a stent in the portal vein. Look at the details. Or just simply changing the parameters in this patient with pancreatic cancer, duodenal involvement, endoluminal stent. And as we go across the variations from the collaterals to the visualization of the common duct stent to how we see everything is significantly different. And it doesn't seem to be organ specific. So here I'm showing you the chest again, the nipples, costal cartilage, the ribs, and then I go inside and look at the liver with tumor infiltration. We can see the liver textural changes in this patient with hepatoma and see some of the vessel supply. You look back, we go back to orthopedic days, cranial facial regions in trauma, one of the earliest apps for 3D imaging. But look at the detail we're able to get and look at the C1 fracture in this case. Okay, the ability to visualize the fractures here, I'm simply rotating the images. And if this patient had contrast, you can see the carotids coming in through the carotid canals in the base of the skull. And this patient had trauma and there were orbital fractures, zygomatic arch fractures, and again, temporal bone fracture, rotating and changing the visualizations indeed becomes very critical. And again, potentially we can do that better with cinematic. On extremity trauma, tibial plateau, volume rendering and cinematic. Look at the bony avulsion, how it's seen with the cinematic. I could not do it that well with the standard of volume rendering. And here's just some more views showing that. We talk about the ability to look at multiple tissues and tissue types. So here's cinematic rendering, you see the muscle. We take away the muscle and now you see the vessel. The patient's axillary to brachial artery is intact. We show the sh shoulder, we show the fracture of the coracoid. Very nicely seen. But there's no vascular injury, there's no large hematoma. And again, the multiple 3D views showing you that information. Now. There are other things going on in 3D imaging, and I spoke about this at meetings as well, and one is 3D printing. And you've all heard about it, is the idea, what if we print models? There's a lot been written about that, and I'll just make some points. 
that people do find it very valuable as an educational tool. Uh, students like to learn when they can touch something, and those models may indeed be very helpful in understanding things. Now, these articles talk about that the common findings, the typical joint space relationships, that's where these models work best rather than the rare case in terms of teaching. Though many people want to do the rare case, the modeling, and you can see a good example here about an acetabular fracture. And people have talked about surgical anatomy and learning surgical anatomy, particularly the less experienced people do better when they can touch something. And it seems easy enough, and here's just another article by Marconi on that. There have been several articles that have looked at different aspects. Again, what do students prefer? I think it is something that will play a role, but I think will be more in education. Remember, when we do 3D, we can do 50 to 100 cases a day with 3D. When you're doing these models, you're doing a case or so here and there, and often you need the information quickly. But it could be beneficial in complicated surgeries. It could be beneficial in the training and the teaching. And there have been several articles about printing, both in medicine and outside of medicine. We've done a little bit. I always like to show this case of a... Uh, patient who was an animal. It was a blue-tongued skink. And the way you can tell it's an animal is look at the veterinary report. Look at all the information. I've never seen so much, such a good report or such a good requisition. And here's the blue tongue in person. Here's the 3D CT of it. And here's the 3D CT and at the bottom is the model. And that model, to quote Larry David, is pretty, pretty good. And so I guess if radiology goes bad, I could sell keychains. But people are doing um, printing for implants. There's a lot of work being done on that for reconstructive surgery, particularly facial reconstructive surgery. Uh, there's some work with simulating surgery. This is an article from Hopkins Weinstock talking about printing techniques, simulation, and how you could basically rehearse a model that looks like a patient. Um, in terms of getting started, some institutions have printers. Hopkins does. If not, do you buy a printer? That's expensive. Do you send out your data, have someone print it for you? Who's going to pay for this? What's the turnaround time? A lot of different models. And I think we're going to see, particularly in an era when nobody wants to pay for anything, how this is going to work out. I think things like 3D imaging with things like cinematic rendering, there's no incremental cost that tends to be a major advantage, particularly if we can turn the process around very quickly and even do better in quality than we do now. As I mentioned, you can look for different companies. I don't know the companies, but here's just one example of a printing service. I think another thing that you will see and we're starting to work on is virtual reality. I've used virtual reality for looking at brain tumors. It is pretty cool, I have to admit. Uh, will it be good for the radiologist? Probably not that helpful. But for the referring docs, it can be very valuable. Oculus, which is a Facebook company, is one of the leaders. So it is one of the things, I think, that will be coming along. Its impact, how it fits in, is a question. Perhaps it will only fit into training, but training is a big part of what we do. So what about the future? The future is exciting. I think for 3D printing, the costs are going to drop in availability. Um, 
again, will it work versus things like cinematic rendering? Uh, how will it work with augmented reality? So there's a lot of questions I could ask. I can't really answer them. I'm not a big proponent of 3D printing. I think it's kind of cool, but we did that 35 years ago or 30 years ago with orthopedics. It didn't catch on then. I'm not sure it's going to catch on now, big term, but I think for education, it will be important. Okay. Impact of 3D imaging and surgical practices. Again, this pre-surgical planning is important, and so perhaps in select cases that printing will work out. So we'll pay attention to that, but again, that's not really where we're driving these days. So I've gone through a lot in these two talks. Conclusions, 3D imaging increases the impact of the role of CT across a range of clinical applications or oncology, ortho, trauma, vascular, cardiac, just to mention a few. Challenges, I know when I speak to the audience, everyone says, yes, 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 but I can't do it because, because, because. You need to answer some questions. Do you want to do it? As we go to value over volume, this may be a big thing. What's your reimbursement model? How do you create this program? Those are all good questions. And I leave it up to you to find the answers. We have our answers, and we do this 50 times a day. And with that, I thank you for your attention, and have a terrific day.